Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Happy 2018. Yay! Yay! So this is our second New Year special. Yeah. And we're going to do the same thing. Each of us is presenting one uh, shorter topic than usual, mm-hmm. uh, celebrating the, the anniversary of something we missed. So let's go back. Mm-hmm. 600 years oh, to 1417. Oh, dang. I think this is the oldest event we've covered on the show yet. I think so. <laughs> Remember that time there were two popes? Surely, surely you recall. Remember, I'm a bad Catholic. <laughs> like, not one. <laughs> there is a Virgin Mary on your mom's front porch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she put it there, but... You know, we've also had that thing for, like, my entire life. So, yeah, the Great Western Schism, uh, it was resolved. I love schisms. What's one of your favorite schisms? You talked about one. Yeah? I don't remember what it's called now, but it was great. (laughs) Well, this is so great. It's the Great Western Schism. They don't get much greater than that. You'd have to be a great global schism or something. But before we can resolve a schism, we have to cause a schism. Of course. So for that, we have to talk about the Avignon Papacy. Remember when the Pope was in France for a while? Bad Catholic. Surely you remember. (laughs) Also, 600 years ago. Oh, this is way longer than 600 now. Oh, well. This event has deep roots. How old do you think I am? I'm not a vampire. You look great, dear. You carry it so well. Yeah. Uh, The Avignon Papacy was a 70-year period where the Popes lived in Avignon, France. Okay. As you might expect. Uh, that started with Pope Clement V, who moved the Curia to France in 1305. This was uh, because in 1302, the King of France was excommunicated by uh, Boniface VIII, so the king sent some men and beat the Pope to death. Oh. New Pope's like, you know what? France is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> Always wanted, uh... to, wanted to be here. Uh, a few decades into the Avignon Papacy, the popes just bought the city, mm. and it became one of the papal states. Popeland. Yes, Popeland. They had the roller coasters. It was fantastic. I just imagined, like, the Mickey Mouse ice creams, but with, like, the Pope hat. <laughs> it'd be easier to eat. It's not as knobby. Yeah, it'd, it'd be much, like, it wouldn't, like, melt all weird. <laughs> Uh, the Haunted Mansion is just a crypt full of actual bones. It's very creepy. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Avignon Papacy lasted from Clement V through Gregory XI. During the, the papacy of Gregory XI, uh, the city of Florence organized an uprising across the papal states. Avignon wasn't the only. There were a lot of, like, Popelands around. Popelands! Popelands unite! Yeah, unite and throw off the Pope. Florence said so. Uh, So Gregory hired mercenaries and killed about 4,000 people in the city of Cessna, one of the revolting cities. That was a majority of the population there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the entire city of Florence was excommunicated. Oh, goodness. You want to rise up against this? You're not getting into heaven. Also, 4,000 of your friends are going to go somewhere real quick. Gregory moved the papacy back to Rome after being pestered by, among others, Catherine of Siena, uh, who, who rose to prominence claiming to have visions from God. Uh, after he moved the Curio right back to Rome, uh, Gregory almost immediately died. He did not spend a lot of time there. Oh. So that brings us to 1378, when the schism begins. Uh, so the Pope is supposed to be Bishop of Rome. Before Clement, the Pope was always Italian. Mm-hmm. Italians and Romans in particular really had a lot of pride. Like, hey, our, our bishop's back. Can the next one be one of us, please? Except they didn't say please. They rioted in the streets. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know. Just demanding the cardinals elect a Roman pope if they know what's good for them. Uh, so they elected Urban VI as quickly as they could. How cool are you to be called Urban as your name? He was the hip-hop pope. No, he was not. He was bad. He was awful. Uh, That's why you don't hear that name anymore. He ruined it for everyone. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The, these dang Urban popes. Now we only have young pope. Now That's not the same. Can't use it. 
What's a kangaroo doing in the Vatican, young pope? Why? Anyway, back to the real popes. Yes. The urban pope. Urban VI was from Naples, not Rome. He was a Neapolitan pope. I guess they thought close enough. So a bunch of cardinals fled town before the people found out, you know, the nitty-gritty details. Yeah. He was naturally arbitrary and extremely violent and imprudent, according to one of his contemporaries. Just what you want in a good pope. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like the power immediately went to his head and the cardinals pretty much hated him. Yeah, that happens. I, after 70 years of French popes, there weren't a lot of Italian cardinals kicking around. They were yeah. mostly French. Yeah. Uh, they, they didn't have a deep bench to choose from. So those cardinals, particularly the French ones, convened another council a year or two later, declaring his election invalid because they were all operating under the threat of mob violence. <laughs> Apparently votes taken while, you know, you're afraid for your life don't count. Yeah. So having declared the papacy vacant, they elected Clement VII, who would live back in Avignon. There are now two popes. Two popes. Two popes. Each one declared the other an invalid anti-pope. Are they going to, like, pope duel? Have a pope off? Well, one of the popes is particularly urban, so I think he's got an advantage. <laughs> Freestyle popery. Well, not potpourri. That's different. <laughs> He's just so smelly, he has to win. That's why he doesn't count. He smells really bad. <laughs> this is the beginning of the schism. And the schism is really a big deal. If there's one pope, you know who to listen to. If there's two popes, if you pick the wrong one, you're not going to heaven. Because you're yeah. following the wrong religion. Yeah. And and someone who does not have the authority to lead the church is leading your church, and now you're just asking for trouble. Yeah. The Avignon Pope, Clement VII, is recognized by France, Aragon, Castile and Leon, Cyprus, Burgundy, Savoy, Naples, Scotland, and uh, there was a rebellion in Wales around this time that recognized Avignon, uh, while Rome, Urban VI, uh, was recognized by Denmark, England, Flanders, the Holy Roman Empire, Hungary, Ireland, uh, under English dominion, Norway, Portugal, and Poland, uh, Sweden, the Republic of Venice, uh, the other city-states of northern Italy. Uh, that, that's basically the lines there. Mm -hmm. Now, the big ones you're going to notice are uh, France and England. The schism was part of and helped extend the Hundred Years' War. That makes sense. So if you're curious, what, why is Scotland uh, uh, matter? Why, why are they throwing in with the, this French dude? It's because England was on the other side. That makes sense. There you go. As the Roman Pope, Urban uh, uh, inherited those wars uh, and kept on fighting them. Uh, he also kept angering his friends and giving powerful jobs to nephews. Uh, one time he was trapped under siege with some cardinals. When they all got out and met up again, they're like, hey, uh, maybe you should resign because you really suck at being Pope. He had them tortured and killed. Yeah. Yes. I, I know you're talking like cardinals, as in like the religious dudes. Or maybe baseball players. Who knows? Well, I was thinking him just trapped with like a bunch of little birds. Yeah. He was the angry, self-important Snow White of his day. Yeah. Yeah. He died in 1390 from injuries sustained when he fell off a mule. He was Snow White, so they were really <laughs> pissed off at him. Mule's like, no. No, I'm not cleaning your floors anymore, dude. No, just, I'm, I'm, I'm liberating the animals. So, if you're thinking, that guy sucks, surely Clement VII is the good pope at this point. Well, you gotta keep in mind, he was the one who carried out that massacre in Cessna of the 4,000 people. Ooh. So, I'm not sure there's a good horse in this race. Nope, nope, there's not. So, there, there had been other schisms, other anti-popes, this is not the first, but the way it generally went was when one pope dies, their car loyal cardinals are like you know, this isn't really working out. Let's let's all come together and, and have a cardinal party and, and we'll, we'll get it right next time. Cardinal party! That did not 
happen this time. They did uh, not get it started in there. No. Black Eyed Peas are a new world vegetable. They're, they're, they, yeah, <laughs> so they, didn't, they, they didn't know how to get it started. Mm-hmm. The only source of Red Hot Chili Peppers was Marco Polo and the, sp- <laughs> and the Silk Road. Well, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> this time, which, which is what made it the Great Western Schism, uh, each post-cardinals stayed loyal to their division and elected new popes, continuing it on the generations. Urban was succeeded by Boniface IX, who fortified the papal states and his hold over them. He was rebuilding castles, he was rebuilding bridges, and being exceptionally money-grubbing to pay for it all, because bridges don't pay for themselves. No, they don't. Uh, so a, a lot of the, the things we'll pick up on later if we ever do, like, a Martin Luther episode, selling indulgences. Boniface the Ninth, huge on that. All, all the tricks of, uh, of enriching the church's pockets. He was into it. Clement was succeeded by Benedict Thirteenth, the last cardinal created by Gregory the Ninth, the pre-schism pope. Everybody's throwing arguments back and forth about who's legitimate and who's just some idiot anti-pope. Uh, but he was always like, you know, the last pope everybody agreed on made me a cardinal, and nobody <laughs> else can say that. <laughs> nobody else bought this argument but him, but he thought it was a pretty strong place to, I mean, to deal from. It kind of is. <laughs> In order to hold on to popular support from kingdoms that, that were wavering, not so much from his side to the other, but just toward neutrality, which is bad enough, uh, he passed Etsy Doctoribus Gentium, a papal bull of repressive anti-Jewish laws. Oh, great. Yeah. That, that's how you win brownie points in, in the 1300s. Yeah. Stuff like uh, any Jewish bookbinder cannot work on a book that contains the word Mary in it. Okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's very no, not okay. No, but I, like that, that's very weird. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't be besmirching the name of, of the Holy Mother with their Jewish hands. That's, that's all we have to say about that. Mule noises. We're coming for you. Yep. Popes are weak to mule damage. It's, it's going to mess you up. <laughs> you have to quack it now. Boniface the was succeeded by Innocent the Seventh, who died soon enough. I don't really have much interesting to say about him. Who was in turn succeeded by Gregory the Twelfth. Popes have a habit of dying really fast. Hmm. I mean, we're electing very old men in the thirteen and fourteen hundreds who have wildlife after them. <laughs> Yeah, all yeah. those little mice and birds are totally like pooping in their teacups. This is a time when prayer is the best medicine. Because have you seen what doctors are doing these days? Bleed them. So that brings us to the Council of Pisa in 1409. The schism has lasted 31 years, and nobody really wants it to go on, except the two popes. <laughs> who are each certain they're the legitimate one. Uh, Cardinals from both curias had tried to reach out, tried to, like, you know, find some common ground, but nothing substantive had happened. The popes would not meet out of fear that, like, they would be captured by the other's allies. I I cannot trust you enough to go on the road and, and say hi. Uh, the last few successions came with, like, backdoor deals about resignation, but there were always like, okay, if we elect you, the deal is that guy's going to uh, resign, then you resign, and, and then we'll all start over fresh. Nobody wanted to resign first. So if nobody goes first, it doesn't happen. Yeah. March 25th, 1409, at the Council of Pisa. Four patriarchs, 22 cardinals, and 80 bishops assemble in the Cathedral of Pisa uh, with proxies for 100 absent bishops and ambassadors of all the Christian kingdoms. The two popes were not there, and they sent no one to represent them. Oh! A hundred bishops could go through the trouble, but not the two popes. At the eighth session, held on May 10th, the separate colleges of cardinals combined into a single one and left the obedience of their respective popes. This is a big move. At the 15th session, on June 5th, the Patriarch of Alexandria declared, quote, I'm not reading that. (laughs) 
Benedict XIII and Gregory XII are recognized as schismatics, the approvers and makers of schism, notorious heretics, guilty of perjury and violation of solemn promises, and openly scandalizing the universal church. In consequence, they are declared unworthy of the supreme pontificate and are ipso facto deposed from their functions and dignities and even driven out of the church. It is forbidden to them henceforward to consider themselves to be supreme pontiffs and all proceedings and promotions made by them are annulled. The Holy See is declared vacant and the faithful are set free from their promise of obedience. The council cheered and applauded. No more popes. No more popes. We had two. Now we have zero popes. Yeah. Uh, ten days later, uh, because that is tradition when the pope dies, you have to wait ten days before a conclave. Mm-hmm. Instead, the, the pope is, is annulled, and now we wait ten days for a conclave. The conclave began to fill the papacy that they had declared vacant. They elected Pope Alexander V. Problem is, the other popes did not recognize the authority of the council to depose them and continue to operate as popes. We thought we had one, now we have three. Three popes! Three popes. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) Now, most states recognized Alexander, but the southern Italian states still supported Rome, and Scotland and Aragon held out with the Avignon Pope. So many popes. So many popes. Alexander died in less than a year. Of course he did. In a manner common to popes of this period. (laughs) Poisoning by little talking mice. There are rumors of poisoning. I don't know if there were mice involved. Trained pigeons. Uh, but th- this happened before the Council of Pisa even ended, and he was succeeded by John the Twenty-Third. John the Twenty-Third was ordained as a priest the day before his election <laughs> to this third papacy. Nice. And you know, you got to dress for the job you want. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The, the rumors of foul play do blame John. Like, he, he's the one uh, that, that these conspiracy theories point to as the possible murderer of Alexander V. Yeah. He's not great. Uh, following the demand of the Holy Roman Emperor, John called yet another council, the Council of Constance, in 1413. This was going on forever. I mean, the Council of Pisa ended a few years ago that we've had this three-pope stalemate. Yeah. Now we get to 1413, Second Council, but this one with, with some heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, John the 23rd, uh, feeling the heat breathing down his neck, is like, fine, okay, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to invite lots of Italians. But the representatives all decide to vote as national blocks. His, his plan to stuff the ballot box with friendly faces uh, does not work because there are only four votes that count. One vote for Italy, one for France, one for England, and one for Germany. Oh, his plan is not working. Just because there's a lot of Italian voices, there's still only one Italian vote. Yeah. Again, the council calls for the resignation of all three popes. <laughs> the, the, it didn't work last time. The like... cardinals have agreed this is the plan. <laughs> and the election of a new single pope. We're going to keep trying until it works, people. Okay. So, they do that. And that's where Pope Martin V comes from, elected in 1417, the first pope of a unified church in 39 years. The resolution of the Great Schism, which we are are celebrating the 600th anniversary of (sighs) in this very episode. So, again, the Holy Roman Emperor is back in this council, so nobody really has the power to ignore it. Uh, Gregory XII tenders his resignation from Rome. He was one of those, you know, pro-reconciliation cardinals. He's like, okay, that, that's the plan. We're doing the plan. Fine. John XXIII instead disguises himself as a postman and flees under cover of darkness. Yes. Uh, his lands were seized. He was eventually found and put on trial for heresy, simony, schism, and immorality, and found guilty on all counts. In the mail. I don't understand. Benedict the Thirteenth refused to resign. Uh, he was excommunicated and declared a schismatic. He remained pope in the eyes of the Kingdom of Aragon until his death in 1423. <laughs> Scotland got with the program and uh, fell in with Martin V. Yeah, yeah. 
Benedict XIII did have a successor, Clement VII. Uh, he abdicated in 1429 and instructed his cardinals to elect Martin V, uniting the papacies for good. Woo! There, everybody's finally in line with Martin, 12 years after the election of Martin. <laughs> so, the effects of this great schism and its resolution. The Roman line is considered the legitimate line of succession, even though it started with maybe the worst of them, the guy that got uh, taken out by a mule. Yeah. But he, he was the first elected, he, he reigned from Rome, his successor is the one that like legitimately said, yes, I resign, fine, let's have Martin. Uh, so it, it makes sense that the church made that decision. Uh, the Avignon and Pisa popes are all anti-popes. Anti-popes. If a pope and an anti-pope touch, we're all screwed. Oh, man. Uh, Alexander V, the first Pisa pope... <laughs> Wasn't declared an anti-pope until the 20th century. There is a Pope Alexander VI who counted this now anti-pope as an official one for, for number purposes. Oh, and, and now, now it's like they skipped a number. A little bit, yeah. But uh, uh, theologically, if the Pope is Christ's infallible representative, how can there be three of him? The, the whole idea of the schism was bad enough, but that it maintained for nearly 40 years was uh, a stain on the church. Just a huge blow to papal claims of temporal authority. Uh, this all stemmed from the uh, Avignon papacy, which started when popes were like, you know, kings say they're in charge of, you know, earth. But God made earth. And kings say they're in charge of people, but, like, kings have souls. And we're in charge of souls. So really, the Pope is in charge of everything. It's a lot harder to say that when they screw up this bad. Yeah. But the big effect is conciliarism. The belief that the church as a whole is greater than the Pope. By whose authority did those councils operate? On what grounds are their decisions valid? It sure wasn't the Pope's, not in Pisa, and uh, not for two out of three in, uh, <laughs> in the council that's counted. Martin V issued decrees ratifying everything they did before his election. Like, you know, yes, I, I rubber stamp everything you did. The Pope now says what you did was, was Pope-worthy. But at the time they did those things, they were claiming the authority of this council of cardinals mm -hmm. as, as valid and binding greater than the Holy See. They're really messed up. <laughs> Sometimes there's a riot outside, so you don't have any good options. And the bad option turns out worse than you thought. And you think, okay, I'll fix it. You don't fix it. You no. did not fix it. No, you didn't. So uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. And we're going to come back with, I think, a much more recent Centen yeah. Centennial anniversary. Yes. Yes, much more recent. See you then. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. We just had a lovely bit of snack time. Yes, we, we had some moon pies, which are celebrating... Their 100th anniversary. That's right. Something from 1917 that we all know and love. Moon, moon pies. pies. Yeah. Something We're not sponsoring us, but we don't want to make them angry because they will drag us on Twitter. Yeah, they, they got like a vicious uh, <laughs> uh, Twitter intern. Something else happened in 1917, though. Yeah. We'll eventually get to what happened in 1917. Because I went looking for um, lots of death. Yes, I do. You know, there's at least one every year. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I found it, but I also found a lot of other things that have to do with it. So, what we are going to talk about is Butte, Montana. Ooh. Yeah. Do you know much about Butte, Montana? It sounds beautiful. Yeah, okay. Butte was founded in uh, 1864. Mm -hmm. It was a mining camp in the northern Rocky Mountains on the Continental Divide. Uh, it became Montana's first major industrial city. It was the first city to have electricity in the state for the mines. Mm -hmm. And in the 20th century, it was the largest city between Chicago and San Francisco. Take that, Texas! <laughs> 
Now, by 1917, which we're going to be talking about in a little bit, its population was at 91,000, which is crazy um, <laughs> for the time. So uh, after World War One, decline started. Currently, there is only about 33,500 people in the city. So a little over a third of what they were yes. 100 years ago. To keep kind of like put it in perspective, in... Montana right now, the the biggest city is is Billings, which is like just over 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. The second is Missoula at 67,000. It was crazy huge for the time period and mm-hmm. even now. Like it was right. gigantic. Montana's, in Montana terms. In Montana terms because Montana doesn't have a lot. Doesn't have a lot. Of people. Of they people. Have plenty of, of other Natural things. wonders and mining things. I imagine steers. Probably. So the population was huge because of the mining. Uh, in 1910, 284 million pounds of copper ore was produced. Whoa. It was the largest producer in North America and only the second uh, to South Africa in world production of metals. Like, so crazy. the entire country of South Africa, then Butte, Montana. Yeah. And then number three on the list. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. One thing that also makes it very uh, a unique place is that it started off with a lot of unions. Mm-hmm. In 1885, um, there were 1,800 dues-paying members of a general union in Butte, mm-hmm. which was like a large part of the population at that time. That year, they uh, took this general union and created, uh, turned it into a miners' union, and then had other unions for other types of work. Um, and by 1886, so a year later, there was 34 unions representing now 6,000 people. That's a recruitment drive. Hey, yes. Oh, oh. And Butte- That's going to quadruple in a year. <laughs> That's great. Butte was known as the Gibraltar of organized labor at the time. Because mm-hmm. it was a, very, a time of very anti-union rhetoric. Yeah, th- this episode is going to have the labor tag. Just click that, and you'll see a lot of examples. Yes, yes, yeah. you will. It's same time period for those. Um, now, around this time is when um, Butte went from having multiple owners of mining companies. So mm-hmm. there's a bunch of like different ones to primarily one. Uh-huh. Uh, Anaconda Mining Company took over, and uh, by 1917... Uh, the company produced 10% of the world's copper and pretty much controlled Montana entirely. <laughs> so when it comes to unions, their anaconda don't want none? They don't. Okay. As the city can c- continue to grow, you know, unions continued to exist, even though Anaconda Mining Company did not want them to. Uh, in 1914, many union members were uh, dissatisfied with the local... Union of the Western Federation of Miners. Though many stayed loyal, uh, those who weren't satisfied had reasons. They accused the union of rigging union elections, of uh, having connections to the mining companies and being paid for what decisions mm-hmm. they were making. Um, there was also a big dispute because the union was pretty much dominated by Irish miners. And there was an incident where several hundred Finnish miners were fired from the mine. And the Finnish miners were like, hey! Aren't you supposed to have our back on this? Yes. And they did nothing to get them back to work or call for a strike or anything over this. Thus, they were pretty pissed off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was also increased tensions over a card system that the union created, which basically you had to show your union card that you were up to date on your dues to go work your shift. Ah. And with what we know about, you know, pay wasn't always a great thing. Yeah. Company stores and stuff existed. Things fell behind. Like, dues to your union weren't always the priority because you need to put food on your table. Right. Um. So you can't work, so you can't earn money. So, yeah, problems there. On uh, June 13th, Uh, of 1914, uh, it was the Miners' Union Day celebration and parade. It it, it was like celebrating the founding of the current union that existed. Uh, Those that were upset, some of them, uh, (laughs) took to 
attacking some of the Union officers on this parade route, and some also went to That'll the uh, the WFM headquarters, and they blew open the safe looking for evidence of corruption uh, within the Union. And things got out of hand, and <laughs> lots of stuff was destroyed, so it was thrown out a window, like... They blew up a safe, and then things got out of hand. And then things got out of hand. So a lot of stuff happened, though, and, like, police (laughs) in the town were kind of like, eh, whatever, we're just gonna watch this happen. Uh, So on June 21st, uh, there was a mass uh, meeting of about 3,000 to 5,000 miners who wanted to leave the current union and organize a new one. The Butte Mine Workers Union was started. Very specific. Yes. It was not officially connected to uh, the IWW, which is the Industrial Workers of the World, which I believe you talked about in your episode. Yeah. Uh, Also the WFM. And the WFM as well. Yeah. But many of them held uh, to the beliefs. Uh, Specifically the Copper Country episode. Yes, Copper Country. Uh, That's the one we're, we're alluding to. Yes. Um, so they created this union, and, uh, they basically threatened everyone, like, (laughs) join us, or else. Mm -hmm. Um, now, city police still did not want to get involved with any type of, like, interaction between the unions. Uh, so, uh, mine owners, businessmen, hired private guards, Mm -hmm. of course, which is always a great thing. Now, on June 23rd... Uh, a meeting of the WFM was happening with about 200 people in Union Hall. Uh, outside, there was a large crowd of people from the new uh, Butte Mine Workers Union. Now, a member of the WFM was walking up to the Union House, like up the steps, to go in to attend the meeting. He was shot by someone inside the building. <laughs> This led to, like, a gun battle between people inside and outside mm-hmm. because there's just a shot and someone's down and now we're all going to okay. shoot at each other. There aren't a lot of people in Montana, but I do know there are lots of guns in Montana. <laughs> yeah. So this tracks. Yeah. Now, uh, during this time, uh, about, like, 27 sticks of dynamite was placed by the building mm-hmm. uh, and they blew it up. But during, like, this gun shooting distraction apparently most everyone inside like escaped out the back door because no one was paying attention to the back door i don't really (laughs) understand how it happened but that's what they say so they blew up the union house it's a good old-fashioned gunfight (laughs) we have rules so things don't get out of hand yeah so in august the new union went on strike And uh, they marched to the mines, telling other miners to quit the WFM. They Later that month, they blew up uh, the Anaconda Mining Company building. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next day, the governor declared martial law. Sounds like something he would do, yeah. Uh, The next day, 500 National Guardsmen arrived. And uh, by September 1st, uh, all the leaders of the new union were arrested. Shortly thereafter, uh, the mine owner said, we're not going to recognize either of you because you can't keep your workers, your union members under control, Mm -hmm. either one of you. So we're just not going to do it. Neither one of you exist. Mm -hmm. And after 30 years of them having a union, Mm -hmm. they now have none. No union protection. They won't. They won't honor that any one of them exists. That was 1914. Yes. What are we celebrating the centennial of? <sighs> On June 8th, 1917. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Here this, it comes. This is what led me to all these things. <laughs> I found this, and then I started looking. I was like, man, there's so much stuff. Because this city's like, insane. Mean- <laughs> meanwhile, in Avignon, France. <laughs> June 8th, 1917, in Butte. Remember, no union, no nothing. The Granite Mountain Speculator Mine Disaster. It is the most deadly event in underground hard rock mining in the United States. Well, maybe they should mine with easy listening. Yeah. So, um, during this time in 1917, uh, mines were operating around the clock. Uh, 15,000 miners were working a day within the mines. The Uh, entire population of Montana. 
No, there's like 91,000 people, remember, in this town at this point in time. At this time. Now, I do have, like, the city was crazy that they had an amusement park in Butte <laughs> at the time. Uh, it called Popeland. Not it called Popeland. It all comes together. Uh, the reason they were operating around the clock was World War I was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and copper was in high demand. Yeah. Uh, and thus, like, what always happens, you know, a war happens, supply and demand goes up, you start working your workers like crazy, you stop paying attention to safety procedures, probably. Um, right. You know. Safety's expensive. Uh, so that evening, there was going to be 410 uh, men going into the mine shafts to work. Uh, that day, they were also working on lowering a three-ton uh, 1,200 foot electric cable down the shaft to complete work on a sprinkler system to prevent fire. Now the cable slipped mm. and fell about 2,400 feet. Oh, still a thousand feet from the bottom of the shaft, and the protective lead covering was ripped, exposing oiled paraffin paper, uh, which insulated the cable. Okay, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> And the dark irony of it being built for a sprinkler fire prevention system is not lost on me. Yeah. Okay. 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 Please continue. Uh, So a couple hours after this happened, a small crew of men went to examine the cable. And one of their carbide lamps accidentally touched insulation and it instantly ignited. Uh, (sighs) This spread quickly to the timber and the support and the mines were... Filling with toxic smoke and gas, of course. And because mm-hmm. our sprinkler system is not yet made. They're working on it. I swear the cable's <laughs> going to be there any day now. Yeah. There was also no, like, alarm system, like, mm-hmm. at the time. It was all, you know, verbal communication. So a lot of the miners down there didn't really know what was going on or were figuring stuff out as things are happening. Uh, about half of the miners were able to make it to the surface even without, like, you know, safety training, proper exit signs, directional signs. Um, some of the exits were also, like, blocked by concrete walls that were put up to stop smoke from another fire in another mine from mm-hmm. getting down the shafts into the mine. Did it stop the smoke? No. Oh. Well, well, I mean, I guess their smoke didn't go into the other company's mine. Oh, well. But, like. Congratulations. It worked. It was worth it. Good it, job. It, it, but, you know, that doesn't, like, let it escape from not, like. Going after your miners. Uh, Please stop going after miners. (laughs) Kevin Spacey, stop it. So, But the other half were on their own down there. Yeah. Um, Some knew what to do from experiencing situations like it before. Oh, imagine that. If your reaction is, oh, no, not again. (laughs) Imagine being that guy. A group of uh, 29 men uh, built a bulkhead to isolate themselves from the gas and smoke for 37 hours. They used their clothes to, like, clog the holes, and they eventually made it out, except for a 20-year-old man who was actually credited for instructing them to use their clothing. So Uh, he saved them at the cost of his life. He was also alive during this, and when they were, like, finally able to, like, head out, he was, like, going ahead looking, like, testing for gas Mm -hmm. and stuff, and he got lost and separated from them. Uh, There was also a group of eight that hid behind a makeshift makeshift bulkhead for 50 hours. Uh, Six of them were rescued alive. Um, The the 20-year-old who died, I'm pretty sure Andrew Garfield is going to play him in the movie. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he's not from Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) He's from Butte. He'll he'll do a Finnish accent. He has to be a migrant. Like... He he's gonna like He's gonna learn a Finnish accent. It'll be great. But it'll sound strangely British. So people from the town like rush to the mines to help with the rescue efforts, um, searching dozens and dozens and dozens of miles of the mine. Uh amazingly no rescue workers died in the search efforts. Oh like which is amazing considering it's filled with like carbon monoxide and Smoke and various other, like, chemicals. Yeah, and 1917 was not the peak of emergency no. first responder procedures. No. And these are, like, just people from town. These are not, right. like, trained. They're right. just rushing in. By uh, June 16th, uh, 168 people had been counted dead from the disaster, uh, most of which were pulled out of the mine. 
very few actually died from fire. It's the smoke. It's the smoke. The carbon monoxide. Mm -hmm. They all asphyxiated. <laughs> like, that's, that's what it was. The town basically shut down for funerals. Uh, extra workers were hired um, because they were getting so many telegrams coming oh. in for people like trying to find out about their family. Oh, that's the worst job in the world. <laughs> Events across the city were canceled. Um, stores were reaching out to widows offering funeral clothing if they didn't have anything. Oh. Uh, and a lot of miners weren't able to be identified um, due to disfiguration, mm -hmm. being under there for, you know, a couple weeks, um, and they were buried in common graves. Now, the disaster um, spurred a strike uh, for better working conditions, improved wages, safety laws to be followed, and improved upon, like, because there, there were some state laws, like, there were certain laws um, for mining where there had to be, like, um, concrete bulkheads were supposed to have, like, doorways so people could, like, exit. Yeah. These weren't followed. People did not do this clearly so on uh june 13th uh miners formed the metal mine workers union uh that to be a bargaining agent um they wanted to abolish the wrestling card which is like a blacklist mm -hmm. they wanted to you know state laws to be observed wages to be raised they wanted to fire the state mining investor or inspector yeah I, th <laughs> I think that guy deserves to get fired kind of <laughs> Uh, mine owners refused to speak with them uh, and responded to the strike with, you know, anti-union hysteria and encouraged violence. Mm -hmm. um, they went straight to using patriotic war efforts yeah. to gain support. Go back to work or the Kaiser wins. Yeah. Look, look at those reds over uh, in Moscow. You don't want to be like that. And Chaos. Because of World War One, the strike re received national attention. Mm-hmm. The Wilson administration sent an uh, arbitrator, and the American Federation of Labor sent representatives. The AFL, though, really was all about them just going back to work to help the war effort, um, and really did not do anything to help with their demands. Mm -hmm. Owners were calling for violence. Um, some of the miners were offered, like, slightly better things, like, well, we'll pay you a little bit more, and we'll, like... Yeah, we'll fix this thing if you'll just go back to work. Mm -hmm. Without organizing yourselves. Yeah, we won't you know, recognize that union. But look, we're automatically giving you something better. Just um, like the Copper Country strike. Yep, and, and many, unfortunately, did. Now, on July 18th, uh, a man by the name of Frank Little arrived. Now, he was an IWW organizer. And he arrived into Butte on crutches uh, after a recent... Uh, accident while organizing miners in Bisbee. Uh, he left shortly before the Bisbee deportation on July 11th. This is where my uh, mine owners collected almost 2,000 miners from their cabins and put them on trains by gunpoint and dropped them in the desert along the New Mexico-Arizona border and left them there because they were what they thought either union union supporters or because they were f of the wrong from the wrong country or background or just whoever they wanted mm -hmm. thrown on this train. That's what they call at will employment uh, these days. So he 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 just missed out on being on that train. Now Little gave a speech in Butte, uh, telling miners to resist the draft and that the workers of the world should not kill each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, mine owners went right after him that he was anti-war and accused. Well, yeah, sounds like he was. Yeah, and promoting a pro-German belief and beliefs in revolution. Uh, that that's really where they get their like mm -hmm. thing here. So on August first, a mob of most likely elite businessmen rounded him up and killed him. Mm -hmm. On August tenth, uh, federal troops arrived to protect the mines from radicals. Mm -hmm. By December, 90% of workers had returned and the strike was completely dismantled um, and they got nothing mm -hmm. out of it. No one no one was ever uh, charged in uh, Frank Little's murder either. And in uh, 1918, Montana passed a bill that anyone who said anything critical of the government or war efforts could be fined up to $2,000 or jailed for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So you, you can imagine how... Uh, that was used. 
against uh, any mine worker, well, you're not supporting the war effort. You're going to go to jail. Yes. And uh, 79 people were uh, charged with crimes, and none of them were pardoned for their crimes until 2006. Sure. Great. <laughs> Uh, Montana doesn't have much, and they can keep it that way for all I care. Uh, I've I've changed my mind. <laughs> After World War One uh, ended, I believe they did um, stop it. Mm-hmm. They like changed it, but I was like, you still didn't pardon anyone, right? You're like, oh, we should stop doing this, but but hey, it's it's all water under the bridge, right? Come on. Our event was the disaster. But our, our but the story continues. The story continues, <laughs> just a little bit more. Uh, so on April nineteenth, nineteen twenty, the IWW and the Metal Mine Workers Industrial Union called for strikes around Butte for higher wages, eight-hour workday, end of blacklisting. Uh, picketers blocked roads uh, into mines and turned away any non-striking miners uh, for several days. Mm-hmm. Uh, local papers reported that the head of the company suggested killing and hanging uh, those striking to help end the strike. To be fair, that might work. <laughs> I'm not saying you should try it, but it might work. Mm-hmm. On April 21st, a uh, local sheriff deputized Anaconda mine guards to help. Mm-hmm. It's all straight out of the common playbook. And that afternoon, a few hundred strikers gathered outside a mine, and the Anaconda mine guards opened fire on the strikers. They hit 17 in the back as they were trying to run away from, you know, guns, mm-hmm. and they killed one of them. Uh, on April 22nd, federal troops arrived, and three weeks later, the strike was completely collapsed, and no one was ever found guilty of what is now known as the Anaconda Road Massacre. And that's kind of where this string of uh, labor dispute ends mm-hmm. for right now. But mining continued to be a huge um, part of Butte. So obviously there'd be other union stories. But that is like this kind of trail of tales. Yeah, yeah. There's a monument Uh that honors uh, the 2,000 people that have been killed in the mines there, including those of the disaster. That that counts for a lot of them. This is random, but if you are a Decemberist fan, (laughs) their song Rock in the Box is, or Rocks in the Box is apparently about it. Apparently about the disaster, the Granite Mountain disaster. I'm not, so that means nothing to me. (laughs) Very uplifting fact to leave you on is that now uh, Butte has the largest Superfund site in the United States and also the Berkeley Pit, which is uh, not the largest, but is huge. It is a former open pit copper mine that operated from 1955 until 1982. It is one mile long mm-hmm. and half a mile wide. Oh, and 1,780 feet deep. And uh, since its closure, it has been filling with groundwater, about 900 feet uh, worth. And the water is just saturated with metals and chemicals. And there's been multiple events where, like, migrating birds have landed on it and all died. But apparently they did recently build, like, a... Just dump some scrubbing bubbles in it, or... They they built, like, a plant that is, is... It said it's either going to go into operation when it, like... Hits a certain level, or 2018. So I'm really hoping it starts to go into operation next this year, is no matter our year. what. Come on! Um, but it's supposed to help process and keep the water from reaching like drinking water. Mm-hmm. It's not that far away from it. Well, let's wish them luck with their beautification project. Yeah. So, uh, that's my story. And we're sticking. So to uplifting. It. Uh. Well, thanks, dear, for taking something that I think would have been on my list. Yeah, I felt like, oh, I'm I'm doing like <laughs> doing a grant thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except you know, it includes death, which is totally my thing. That's the thing with history; everyone dies. Everyone dies for now. We're gonna take another quick break, and we'll be right back with your letters—the first letters of the new year. Through another year. We 
almost an entire other episode. Yeah. yeah. But before we get to your letters and and the housekeeping business, mm-hmm. we've got a sort of an update to an yeah. episode, which is weird for a history show to have. Yeah. So way back when. Way back when. Uh, I did an episode on the Iroquois theater fire. 37 episodes ago, yeah. thereabouts. And uh, in it, I believe I did talk about um, how there were, briefly, how there was a play that was produced about the story, about some of the events surrounding it called Burning Bluebeard. Uh, now, this play uh, was redone yeah. uh, by some of the same people. We went and saw it yesterday. Yes, we did. <laughs> on the anniversary yes. of the event. We saw yeah. the, the three o'clock matinee on December 30th. Which is the anniversary of the theater burning down. Time and date. Um, now, unfortunately, the show closes today when we are recording this. <laughs> so we can't be like, hey, go see it. Because it was phenomenal. It was. Um, oh, it was incredible. I, I really think it's one of the best piece or like one of the best Chicago base or like Chicago made. It's definitely the best the- storefront theater I've seen. Yeah. And in, in sort of like a technical sense and everything. It, it's maybe the most moving theater experience I've had in my life. Yeah. It's like so good. It's so incredibly good. But it seems like um, they kind of bring it back like every two years. Give or um, take. For a short stint here in Chicago. Um, so, if we're still around and doing the show in two years, <laughs> I'll let you know if it happens again. Yeah, yeah. But look out for other work by the ruffians who produced mm-hmm. it, uh, the neo-futurists who hosted it and helped support its creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the neo-futurists are where the show... Uh, the Infinite Wrench is performed. Well, it's also where the show originally premiered yes. when uh, it first went up. Um, I believe in 2011, mm-hmm. um, and they were back there performing it again um, with their support. Um, so definitely check out Neo Futurists and the Ruffians. Um, and again, the play is called Burning Bluebeard. If you want to look up more about it, it is phenomenal. I have so many thoughts on it. I don't <laughs> feel like I can even like say any of them. Yeah, I mean, and hey, that's spoilers for this yeah. show about an event from. It's incredibly. Funny, it is, and, and incredibly it's not. not. <laughs> it's 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 the extreme of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely keep an eye out for it. I can't say check it out because it's closing today. Um, but keep an eye out for it in the future. There's a patter song about all the various exits to the building in case there's a fire and you need to get out <laughs> so you don't die. Like. The people. Like all of the people. Oh. So with that out of the way, let's yeah. talk about these letters. Um, so our first email is from Final Gamer, who uh, our prompt was like... Our favorite thing from 2017, trying to close out on some positivity okay. for this garbage mess of a junk year. Well, Final Gamer is ignoring that prompt and instead yes. is sending us many animal facts which Yay! is an old prompt uh so some of these are uh that dolphins sometimes kidnap puffer fish and pass it around to each other like a bong to get high off its toxins dolphins know how to party dolphin, dolphins know dolphin mothers also sing to their children in the womb uh with one whistle referring to the mother herself and then a new whistle when it's closer to the birth as a way of like imprinting Aww. Uh, during this time other dolphins remain very quiet politely so the child can get to know who the mother is Aww. this is really sweet um another fact crocodiles have existed almost unchanged for 200 million years but in prehistoric times there existed the i bet you wish i took this email yep. don't you the caprosuchus a 20-foot-long crocodile with longer legs that could gallop on land like a wild boar and that preyed on dinosaurs. Uh, a cat's purring is uh, between 20 to 140 hertz frequency and acts as a low-energy healing mechanism that improves bone density, encourages the he- healing of minor wounds, and also pain relief, not only in themselves, but apparently in other creatures near them. Aww. Mm-hmm. 
And finally, uh, dogs actually comprehend the puppy eye effect. Researchers have found out that dogs produce more facial expressions when a human is paying attention to them. So, as Final Gamer states, they have weaponized cuteness. Uh, <laughs> and then also understand that we humans are sight-oriented and can't smell worth anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you, uh, Final Gamer, for those awesome facts. Thanks, Final Gamer. Leanne writes into us in the spirit of centenary anniversaries to mention the big explosion in Halifax Harbor and share uh, an online exhibit uh, that's a collaboration between different local institutions and features some cool information about it. So you'll find a link to that in the show notes. That's 100years100stories.ca. That's the numeral 100years100stories.ca. Thanks, Leanne. Uh, James writes in with uh, a couple things about 2017. Uh, first, they helped save someone's life at the beginning of the Thumbs year. Thumbs up. James was headed to the gym at four in the morning and heard someone Thumbs calling down. for help. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, it was an elderly man who had looked like it, he fell several times and he helped get him inside to the gym, get him a ride home. Uh, and uh, for James... It taught him that there's still hope in the world, and sometimes that hope has to be you. Yeah. That's a, Direct that's action really nice. works. Uh, and also, uh, podcasting uh, has been a big part of 2017 for James, uh, continuing to enjoy finding new stuff. Uh, give some shout-outs to Flashback Flicks, Hello Internet, The Unmade Podcast, One Shot, and this one little podcast called Sex Archie. <laughs> uh, James also started uh, his own podcast this year, uh, which he's very much enjoyed and hopes that it lets listeners find a bit of reprieve from the world, even if it's just for an hour. Uh, and you can find uh, James po James's podcast, Littlest Pet Cast, basically anywhere. Everywhere podcasts are distributed. Yeah. Uh, I I think James has told us about Littlest Pet Cast before. Yes. But hey, there you go. Uh, also, you might be interested to know that a little birdie told me that the hosts of Sex Archie are going to be on the one-shot live stream oh, yeah. this coming Thursday the 4th. What? Playing the Archie board game Running Round Riverdale. Yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're really looking forward to that. Going to have a lot of fun. And I hope to, to see some listeners in, in the, uh, the Twitch chat. Yeah. So watch the, the social feeds for more details on that. Another reason to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, mm -hmm. which are all at History Honeys. And because of James's uh, perfect segue, I'm doing that bit a little out of order this week. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks for the letter. Uh, Claritic writes in with some big news uh, out from 2017 from her native Australia. Uh, Australia's laws finally catching up to the fact that it was one of the most progressive countries on LGBTI issues attitude-wise and legalizing same-sex marriage. Now, it was outlawed in the early 2000s just because the prime minister kind of wanted to. There wasn't really a public push. Happened anyway. And so there have been campaigns on all uh, levels in order to right this wrong. Uh, and the government finally wised up, but instead of actually doing it, they, they had a stalling tactic of this nationwide non-binding mail-in vote that became a, a farce of a campaign uh, where the same reactionary forces that have been uh, popping up all over the place the last two years have saw yet another chance to do so, but the results came in overwhelmingly in support of uh, same-sex marriage, and our very own Claritic was a uh, volunteer in that campaign, and the seat she did most of her volunteering in had the third highest yes result, I assume nationwide. I assume. Uh, so congratulations. Yeah. Uh, on the, the accomplishment and, and certainly your part in it. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Good job, Claritic. Good job, Australia. Happy 2017. Uh, Taylor sent us an email. Uh, Taylor's a longtime listener and thanks first time writing in. I could check, but it's not that important. Not sure. <laughs> We're glad to have you. I feel like you. we need to make like a list. 
Uh, Taylor's favorite thing about 2017 uh, was meeting and falling in love with uh, their girlfriend, and they just moved in together. Uh, good luck. Despite whatever happened this year, uh, Taylor's always going to remember 2017 fondly. Uh, Taylor's girlfriend is also a big fan of podcast history and trivia, so has been recommended to listen to us and maybe is listening right now. Hi, Taylor's girlfriend, if you are. And our last letter comes from Purin. Purin's favorite thing from 2017 are some personal experiences. He spent time in the northern reaches of Hokkaido, uh, looking over a frozen over bay for miles into the open sea. Just an incredible sight. Uh, trekking out over a snowed over lake to, to make measurements and observations. Purin, it sounds like you have a really interesting job. Yeah. You were in the jungle for a while, and now there's this this ice trip to I measure I things. I don't think Purin's told us what he does. <laughs> he measures ice, at least for ice. a little while. Uh, or just really cool hobbies. Really cool hobbies. <laughs> but it sounds like this uh, uh, adventure was worth the trouble of dealing with the, the Japanese language, which uh, is, a, is a challenging beast. So thank you very much for your letter, and uh, and thanks everyone? to everyone else. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's all the letters we got. Yeah. So if you would like to send us a letter, uh, those can go to... HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And you can tell us uh, any show suggestions, any ha- ask us a question, tell us a story, or answer our regular prompt. Hey, darling, what's the prompt for next episode? Uh, the prompt for next week is favorite Olympic sport. Yeah. And if you have a favorite Olympic moment, Ooh, I guess. those are fun. Give us your favorite it, you Olympic sports and or moments. Yeah. All right. And again, send those to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You already got the plug for the socials. Yeah. The Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, all at History Honeys. Yeah. And that's the best way to keep track of uh, our lives, our episodes, any short-term announcements we have. Yeah. Including that uh, live stream at twitch.tv slash one-shot-rpg coming at you the evening of Thursday the 4th. Yeah. Uh, But before we go, I think we should get in on that prompt for this episode. Yeah. Hey, darling, what are some of your favorite things from 2017? Moki. Moki. That's we we our family expanded. Mm-hmm. Our family expanded in two notable ways. We have a dog mm-hmm. and a goddaughter. Yes. Yeah. And so, they love each other. They love each other so much. So yes, uh those are actually two of my highlights is Moki and our goddaughter. Yeah. Well, I guess like do you have another one? Sure. Uh I think this year was really great uh, for me creatively. Sex Archie, I love Sex Archie. Making it with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of that's one of mine. Riverdale, Sex Archie. It's great fun. I enjoy it a lot. The Mouse Guard campaign at Six Feet Under. I started planning it just after New Year's. The first episodes came out in the spring, mm-hmm. and now here we are, uh, really deep into it and having a great time. Is there any media you enjoyed this year? Porgs. I'm glad Porgs exists. Yes. Star Wars Episode Eight. Porgs. <laughs> That's media. <laughs> there are other things in the movie. Yeah, they're good too, but Porgs. <laughs> I really got sappy over uh, the new Ted Leo album, The Hanged mm-hmm. Man. That's great. Uh, the The album itself and the two shows. We were lucky enough for him to to pass through Chicago, going yeah. there and back. Yeah inspiring and i mean just dang good music but we got to see hamilton yeah happy anniversary i have a like i enjoy listening to musicals but i have like a hard time really getting into them until i see them Mm -hmm. because i i i just feel like i'm always missing so much or i don't really understand is that two or three years ago now when that came out it was a few years ago it's a surprisingly old show um but we finally got to see it and i was blown away by everything that happens on the stage. I'd say Burning Bluebeard is better. <laughs> Burning Bluebeard is better. <laughs> I was like, that 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 was an emotional roller coaster of things. And you know what else happened this year? Hmm. Manatees came off the endangered species list. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned that my dog likes to sit on other dogs. <laughs> which is like the best thing ever. <laughs> Here's another social media thing for you. Instagram, Moki underscore the dog. It's great. 
She sits on her friends a lot. Uh, but while you're out there, we would love it if you uh, gave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, wherever else you find us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does a lot to help us grow the show. You know, new year, new beginnings. We're coming off a, a four-week break. Yeah. So help us kickstart into, I don't know, season two. Is, is that what this is? A year and a half later, sure, season two, yeah. I love when someone asked us if we do, like, seasons, and I was like, that's a thing? You do, people people do seasons? For, you don't just keep going forever? You are allowed to take breaks. It's okay. I felt really weird with, like, the breaks we took these past couple weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what my life is right now. So, yeah, get us back in the swing of things with some ratings and reviews. You can also tell a friend. Yeah. Pass on the the uh, knowledge of history as we move into the future. We're going to need it. All right. So with that, I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your, your honey. honey. Happy New Year! Happy New Year!